Well, if you have a Bible or some kind of device with a Bible app, grab those things and go to the book of Exodus with me. Uh, we're in a study in eight, uh, we're actually in week eight of a study on the Ten Commandments. And so you find the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20. So go back there with me. Exodus chapter 20. How many of us in the room have ever stolen something? Ever stolen anything? All right, lots of, hey, keep your hand up for just a moment. Listen, if you're sitting around one of these people, watch your stuff today, all right? We will not be held liable if it goes missing. Now, look, I'm kidding. I'll confess, I'll admit, I've stolen something. When I was in high school, I took a trip with a, guy, a bunch of guys from my church to the beach. We were going to a men's conference. And every night, a friend of mine, we'd actually go down to the beach together, and we would f- uh, fish out in the surf. And so one night, we're walking back to our hotel, and we passed one of those booths on the beach that sells tickets for parasailing. Well, they had left their sign outside of the booth. So we decided to steal it. And the only thing worse than us stealing it was the fact that we transported it back home in a church van, all right? <laughs> Pretty sure we should have gone to hell right on the spot for that, which is one of the many reasons I am grateful for the grace of God in my life. Amen? Amen. Amen. Hey, how many of us have ever been stolen from? Okay, a lot of hands going up. Yeah, me too. When my wife and I lived in South Florida, I'll never forget going out to lunch one day with a group of friends after church. Uh, The bill for lunch comes, and I hand the waiter my debit card, and he comes back just a minute later, and he says, Mr. Griffin, your debit card has been declined. Well, I knew something was wrong because I had just gotten paid, so I stepped outside, called my bank, and the bank proceeds to ask me, hey, did you buy jewelry from so-and-so store? Did you buy a computer from so-and-so store? And they go down the list come to find out someone had stolen my debit card. And they had drained my bank account of a few thousand dollars. Now, my bank, they were gracious, uh, refunded me all the money, issued me a new debit card. Well, about eight weeks later, it happened again. It is frustrating when someone steals from you, isn't it? Now, listen, I don't know if you caught this. Maybe you didn't because you're out there and I'm up here. I I caught it. Did anybody notice the difference in response between the two questions I asked? Like when I asked who's ever stolen something, like the hands made it up to kind of about right here. But when I asked who's been stolen from, like we were ready to let somebody know about this offense committed against us, right? Now why is that? Why is that? Well, some of us in the room probably think it's because the people at Cross Point are are such great people and they feel so bad about stealing from other people. And maybe that's the case, but can I offer another suggestion? Could it be this? Could it be... That when someone steals from us, we see it as a serious offense, but when we steal from others, we choose to overlook the seriousness of our offense. I don't know. We're going to find out today because in the Eighth Commandment, we're confronted with the seriousness of stealing. If you have your Bibles open, we're going to read verse 15 together. I'll just remind us about seven weeks before this moment, God set his people free. From over 400 years of slavery in Egypt. So the nation of Israel, they're a free people. And God wants to ensure that they live within the freedom he's provided. So like any good loving father, he gives his people, his children, some rules, some boundaries, some commandments to live within. And here's the eighth commandment. Here it is. Simple, short, sweet. You shall not steal. You shall not steal. Now, that word steal that you see in verse 15, it means to take something that doesn't belong to you either by force or in secret. 
Now, this would include, I made a list, so I'll just read it. This would include burglary, armed robbery, larceny, hijacking, shoplifting, pickpocketing, purse snatching, embezzlement, extortion, racketeering, unfair interest rates, rigged gambling, unjust taxation, filing false insurance claims, falsely billing clients, misappropriating company funds, taking intellectual property, plagiarism, illegal downloads, identity theft, and the list just goes on and on. Some of us are guilty, aren't we? Like we just heard the list and we're going, dang, did that. Just downloaded some songs this past week. Should have paid for them, right? Like we know we're guilty. Others of us in the room, we're feeling pretty good, aren't we? Because you just heard the list and you're like, sweet, I haven't ever done any of that stuff in my entire life. Well, if you're feeling good about yourself right now, let me see if I can fix that, okay? (laughs) Stay with me. How many of us in the room are employers? Like we own a business or we're in management, so we oversee people and payroll. How many of us, that describes us, okay, a lot of those uh, people in the room. Here's what I need you to know. You steal from your employees when you treat and or pay them unfairly. Are you with me? So if you've hired, there's an employee in the room over here who feels like someone stole from her. Um, If you hire someone to do a job and then you fail to compensate them appropriately for that job you've stolen from them. If you hire someone to work a certain amount of hours and they work more hours than you've agreed upon and you don't pay them for those extra hours, you've stolen from them. Employers, are you with me? All right, how many employees do we have in the room? You get up every day, you go to a job, you work for a paycheck, a lot of employees. All right, employees, here's where it gets real. You ready? You steal from your employer when you show up late or leave early, when you sneak a few pens or office supplies into your bag before you go home in the afternoons, you steal from your employer when you waste time messing around on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, when you socialize with people when you should be working, when you call in sick and you're not really sick, guess what you've done? You've broken the eighth commandment. You've stolen. And I know some of us, we want to argue, well, James, is that really that big of a deal? Yes, it's a huge deal. Look, I read this past week that companies lose on average $200 billion a year due to employee theft of time and property. Huge deal. This should remind us as Christians that we have a responsibility to work hard with integrity. No one should ever question our character due to our work ethic. If they do, there's a good chance you're stealing from your employer. How about this? Uh, Ever lent money to someone? Ever let somebody borrow some of your money? Did you charge an interest rate? If you did, was it fair or was it unfair? And please, look, don't be the person that goes, well, James, that's subjective and a lot of different factors to take into consideration. You know if it was fair or not fair, right? You're smart, so, so which one was it? If it was unfair, you've stolen from the person who borrowed from you. In fact, the Bible teaches in Leviticus 25 and Deuteronomy 15 that if a poor person who really needs help borrows from you, you shouldn't charge them interest at all. If you do, you've stolen from the poor person. How about the borrowers in the room? Ever borrowed money from someone or from a lender? Did you pay it back? And and yes, I do mean all of it. Did you pay it back or, or are you paying it back? If not, you've stolen from the lender. Hear me, stealing is not just you taking something that doesn't belong to you. It's also withholding something that belongs to someone else. 
So if you borrow money with no intention of ever paying it back, you've broken the Eighth Commandment. All right, are we feeling guilty yet? Yeah, look, I could give other examples, but it'll really help us save some time if we could just admit now that we're all in the same boat on this one. Are we in the same boat? All of us are guilty, right? Including this guy standing on the stage. The question is why? Why are we guilty? Like, why is stealing wrong? Why does God prohibit this as one of the Ten Commandments? Well, the obvious reason, and we've already started establishing this, is because stealing is sin committed against your neighbor. The not-so-obvious reason, but the more significant reason, is because stealing is sin committed against God. I'll give you a couple ways that this is true, all right? If you're taking notes, here's some stuff to write down. Number one, stealing fails to trust God's provision. The Bible teaches that God is our ultimate provider. So the person who steals basically says to God, God, what you've provided for me isn't enough. I need not only what you've given me, but what you've given my neighbor. It's kind of like when my four-year-old steals all her baby sister's toys and refuses to let her sister play with him. And here's Selah, my one-year-old, screaming her head off. And Rowan is arguing with me, right? I'm, I'm asking her, why did you take your sister's toys? And she says, because I need them. And I say, baby, no, you, you don't need them. You have a playroom full of your own toys. You need to give your sister her toys back. And she says, no, 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 daddy, I, I know. I mean, my toys uh, are, are good and all, but I also need my sister's toys. It's almost like she's saying to me, daddy, the toys you've given me are good, but they're not good enough, so I need to steal my sister's. Just a side note here. Listen, if you've ever questioned the doctrine of original sin, the doctrine that teaches that we're all born into this world as sinful people, just have a kid, all right? That'll fix it for you. I know when you first bring them home, they're sweet and cute and cuddly, but just give them some time, okay? They will grow into sinful, selfish little heathens without you ever teaching them how. It's unbelievable. Look, back to my point. Here's my point. The person who steals is like my four-year-old. They say to God by their stealing, God, what you've given me isn't enough for me. God, your provision in my life is somehow lacking, so I'm going to take what my neighbor has. That's number one. The second reason that stealing is sin committed against God is this. It robs others of God's provision. It robs others of God's provision. The implication of commandment number eight is this. That we serve a God who believes in the ownership of private property. So in other words, whatever God gives a person rightfully belongs to them. If that wasn't the case, this prohibition against stealing would make no sense, right? How do you steal something from someone if that something doesn't rightfully belong to them? Are you with me? So if you walked into the room today and uh, you think of Jesus as some type of socialist or you think that Jesus was a lot like Robin Hood, stealing from the rich, giving to the poor, hear me, you are sadly mistaken. Jesus calls us, yes, as his followers, to give to the poor, to take care of the poor. Here's the difference. He calls us to do it willingly and in love. I'll try not to get too preachy on you, but can I just make you aware today that the government can never do what the church was meant to do? The government wants to take people's money and stuff by force to care for the poor. That was never God's plan. God's plan was to establish a church of people who would love and care for the poor willingly so that the government wouldn't have to take their stuff. Are you with me? So it's important that we care for the poor. 
It's important that we feed the hungry. We give drink to the thirsty. We clothe the naked. We invite the stranger in. These are things that Jesus calls us to do. But but back to my point, here it is. Look, the person who steals from another takes what God has entrusted to that person. In essence, the thief steps into the place of God and makes decisions on private property he or she was never meant to make. That, my friends, is a direct assault on the authority and the providence of God. So, if stealing is wrong for these reasons, here's the next question. What do we do instead of steal? What do we do instead of steal? If you were here a couple weeks ago, you heard me teach that eight out of the ten commandments are written in negative form. Don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. Which implies that all these negative commandments have a positive side. Don't do this suggests that there's something we should do in its place. So let me show you the positive to commandment eight. Ready? Here it is. We're learning this already. Don't steal from others. There's a command. The positive to this command is steward what God has given you. Don't steal from others, just steward what God has given you. Author Jerry Bridges once said that when it comes to money and possessions, people really take on three basic attitudes. And I'm stealing this just from him, uh, right from him, because this stuff is just brilliant. Look, I'll show you the attitudes. Number one, what's yours is mine, I'll take it. That's the attitude of a thief, right? The thief says, if you have something that I want, I'll figure out a way to make it mine. I'll lie on my taxes, I'll overbill you as my client, I'll sneak into your purse when no one else is looking, and I'll just take it from you. You get the idea, this is the attitude of a thief. Uh, Attitude number two, what's mine is mine, I'll keep it. This is the attitude most people live with today. Because of our selfish and sinful nature, our default as people is to see our money and our stuff as our money and our stuff. I worked hard for it. I saved it up. Someone gave it to me as a gift or or as an inheritance. It's mine, so don't ask me to share it because I'm keeping it. The third attitude is that of a steward. What's mine is his, I'll share it. Love this. You see, the steward understands that he can't do with his stuff what he wants to do with his stuff because his stuff isn't really his stuff, it's someone else's stuff. A steward's just a manager. And his job is to find out what the owner wants done with his stuff and to then manage the owner's stuff according to the owner's wishes. This third attitude is the attitude you and I are called to take on as followers of Jesus Christ. Look, I'll just make it simple. I'm going to remind you of something that I've taught numerous times and I'll keep teaching it because I want to beat it into your hearts and your minds. All right, here you go. Take a note. You can write it down. God owns everything. You don't own anything. Let me just say it again, because that deserved an amen from somebody. God owns everything, and you don't own anything, right? You with me? I know people always want to argue when when that statement gets thrown around. Well, James, I own my house, I own my car, I own my business, I own my property. And I would say, if you're arguing in your heart and mind right now, really? Really? Like, how much of that stuff's coming with you when you die and leave this world one day? None of it. Do you know what that proves? It proves you don't own anything. The only reason you have anything is because God who owns all things has given you a few things to manage for his glory and the good of other people. And my friends, let me make sure you know this. That's where freedom is found. It's found in stewardship. True freedom in the area of money and stuff is not found in you doing whatever you want to do with your money and stuff. You want to be a slave to money and stuff? 
do what you want with money and stuff. You want to be free in that area of your life? Then take what God has given you and manage his stuff that he's entrusted to you according to his wishes. That's where freedom's found. Now look, I need you to lean in for just a moment here because what I'm about to say next is critically important. If you miss everything else I teach today, please don't miss this. All right, lean in. If you fail as a follower of Jesus Christ to live with this third attitude, like if you fail to steward what God has given you according to his wishes, here it is, don't miss it, you steal from God. You break commandment number eight by taking from the God of the universe what is rightfully his. Guys, I need you to know today this is a serious offense. So serious that throughout the course of history, people have died for it. For example, in the Old Testament, there's a story of a guy named Achan. And I would encourage you to read it on your own time. His story is found in Joshua chapter 6 and 7. He was a soldier in Israel's army. And he fought in that great battle of Jericho where the nation of Israel marched around the walls seven times until the walls fell down. Well, God instructed his people, hey, after you conquer the city, uh, don't be taking stuff from the city. Just leave it there, and if you find any bronze, silver, gold, or iron, add it to the Lord's treasury. That stuff belongs to me. Well, Achan decided not to listen, and he took some of what God said belonged to him, buried it in his tent. Well, long story short, Achan got found out. And when it came out that he had stolen from God, he was brought before the people of God, and he was put to death. This is a serious offense. And what's scary is that like Achan... Many people, including some of us in the room, continue to steal from God today. Let me show you a few ways we do this so you can figure out if it's you, all right? Here we go. Ways we steal from God. Number one, we steal from God by failing to give generously. Steal from God by failing to give generously. In the Old Testament book of Malachi, the prophet writes to God's people and he says to the people of God, you're stealing from God. And of course they're in denial, right? People who are stealing from God are always in denial. And so they ask Malachi the question, how are we stealing from God? How are we robbing him? And Malachi writes back and he says, in your tithes and contributions, you are withholding from the Lord what is rightfully his, what he's asked you to give back to him. Now that word tithe that you see throughout the Bible, it simply means 10%. And in my humble opinion, people today still get too hung up, way too hung up on that whole 10% number. They view it as either a floor or a ceiling for giving. And, and I'll explain what I mean, all right? Some people, they reach the 10% mark and they go, whoo, awesome. Given 10%, I can stop giving. Doesn't matter how much money I make over the course of my life, I've reached 10%. That's all I need to do, so I'm keeping the rest for me ceiling, all right? Some people, they view it as a floor, so they see giving like this. Well, if I can't give 10%, uh, I should give 0%. All I can give is five, and so if God's going to be mad at me for giving five instead of 10, then I'll just give zero, floor. Both of these attitudes, according to the scripture, are wrong. Can I just tell you that God in the New Testament, when it comes to us as non-Jewish Gentile believers, he does not prescribe a percentage for giving Do you know what he prescribes? Generosity. Generosity. On this side of the cross of Jesus Christ, God says to us, in light of my great generosity toward you, you should give generously back to me. Now this raises a question. People always want to know, 
well, James, what does generously mean? What is, like, how do I know if I'm giving generously? And here's how I would answer it. I would say to you, you tell me. Like, I believe we're smart people, but we're also sinful people. And so at times we'll play semantics games in hopes of keeping more of what God has given us for ourselves, right? I mean, we'll go down this road, well, well what does generosity really mean, James? And, and uh, you know, people define it differently, and, and I think I can be generous with things outside of my money, and I would just invite us as the people of Cross Point City Church not to play those games and to be honest with ourselves. You're smart. You know whether or not you're giving generously. So are you? I mean, are you investing generously into God's kingdom, into God's church? Are you giving to meet the needs of the poor? Are you blessing people who need help in hopes of advancing the gospel in our community and in the world? If so, that's awesome. Keep it up. If not, you're stealing from God. You're stealing from God. And I know when some of us hear that, like something goes on inside of us. Like we get offended. We get upset. James, how dare you say that to me? People always get funny when you talk about money in church. And the reason's simple. Money's their God. Nobody likes it when you talk bad about their God. If that's you, like if I'm describing you, I say this to you in love as your pastor, you need to stop worshiping your wallet in God's place, and you need to let God take his rightful place on the throne of your heart. The way you know whether or not this is happening is simple. Are you using your wallet to honor God? Are you using your money to invest generally back into God's church and his kingdom? That's number one. Number two, we steal from God by wasting our time and talents. So, so God, hear me, he doesn't just give us money to manage for his glory and the good of other people. He also gives us time and talents to manage for his glory and the good of other people. And like our money, uh, the big question is, are we using our time and talents for his glory and the good of other people, or are we not? Like, are you, are you spending time investing in God's kingdom? Are you spending time with people who need Jesus, who need to hear the good news of the gospel? Are you using your talents to serve the church, to serve people outside the church in hopes of building up the church and advancing the kingdom of God in this world? Listen, I've often found that when it comes to time, it's not that we don't have the time, it's that we don't make the time. We waste so much time on other things that we have no time left for the things of God. I have found that when it comes to talents, uh, it's not that we're not talented people, it's just that we use many of our talents to serve ourselves right? Instead of using what we're good at to build up uh, God's kingdom, we use what we're good at to build up our kingdom. And if I'm describing you, again, I say this in love, I care about you, I really do. If this is you, you're stealing from God. Now, I want to help you not steal from him any longer, okay? So I want to make sure you know this. Here at Crosspoint, we have countless ways for you to invest your time and talents back into God's church and back into God's kingdom, you should have gotten one of these serving guides when you came in the door today. It should have been in your seat. So go ahead and grab it real quick. Get it in your hands. And we're not going to read this whole thing, but I do want to rattle off several of the serving opportunities that are available right now in our church. And, and when I say in our church, I mean both inside and outside the walls, okay? Church is not the, the place. Church is the people. So look, here we go. We have opportunities right now for you to serve in our coffee bar as greeters on our guest service team. Uh, you can serve on our host team, uh, serve at our connection desk to help people take next steps in the life of our church. Men in the room, here's some low-hanging fruit serving opportunities for you, all right? 
parking insecurity. We need men to step up and to serve on those teams, to help people feel welcome in the parking lot, and to make our people feel safe uh, upstairs and downstairs week after week. We need people to serve and and to host our first-time guests that show up every Sunday. We're looking for people to serve on our prayer team. We need men and women to step up and to serve as group leaders for adults and students. Uh, We're looking for kid ministry leaders from babies all the way through fifth grade. We're looking for worship leaders, vocalists, guitar players, drummers. If there is a drummer in the house, please come talk to us. We could uh, put you to work quickly, all right? Piano, keyboard players. We're looking for backstage help, audio engineers, camera operators on Sundays, graphic artists, videographers, photographers. We're also looking for people to serve the homeless in our community right now. For some reason, God has opened up some incredible doors and and given us a lot of favor with the homeless in our community. And so we have relationships right now through Family Bartow Promise and Good Neighbor Homeless Shelter where we get to love on, feed, and care for homeless people right here in Cartersville and Bartow County. These are a few of the serving opportunities. These are a few of the ways that you can invest time and talent back into the church and back into the kingdom of God. So I would say if you need to stop stealing from the Lord by wasting time and talents and and put your time and talents to good use, just follow the instructions on the front of the guide. Visit our connection desk before you leave today. Tell them you want to serve. Uh, Open your Crosspoint City Church app. If you haven't downloaded it yet, do that to your device or tablet from our Crosspoint uh, or from uh, your app store. Or you can go online to our website and you can sign up to serve there one of our staff members will reach out to you personally and help you through the process to get connected, okay? Now's a great time because we're currently building up our serve teams to get ready for the new ministry year that begins every August here in the life of our church. So get connected, get plugged in, okay? Then finally, number three, we steal from God by disobeying his commands. We steal from God by disobeying his commands. Every violation of the Ten Commandments is a violation of the Eighth Commandment. Like, if you bow down to an idol, you still worship from God. If you ignore the Sabbath, you steal a day that was meant to be set apart to God. If you commit murder, you steal life that God gave. You commit adultery, you steal purity and the sanctity of marriage that God has established. If you lie, you steal truth that God stands for. Listen, every sin that you and I commit, regardless of what it is, steals something from God. And as a result, we rob God of honor and glory our lives are meant to give him. Church, this is why sin is such a big deal. It's more than you just breaking a rule or breaking a simple command. It's you committing treason against the God of the universe and stealing from him what rightfully belongs to him. So what in the world do we do with all this? Because we're guilty, aren't we? 100% of us in the room have either stolen from our neighbor, stolen from God, or stolen from both, right? We're all guilty. So as guilty people, what do we do? Like, where do we go from here? Well, let me give you a couple of answers to that question, and then we'll be done, all right? Here's the first thing. If you've stolen from your neighbor, you need to pay back your neighbor. That's first. Exodus 22, verse 1, God says to his people, if you steal an ox from someone or a sheep from someone, or for us it might be a computer or some money or some clothes from the department store, if you steal an ox, you steal a sheep, and you kill it or sell it. 
You do with it what you want to do with it for your own personal gain and benefit. God said to his people that you need to pay back five oxen for an ox, four sheep for a sheep. So imagine it. You steal a dollar, you're required to pay back uh, $4. You steal a computer, you're required to pay back five computers. This was meant to be a major deterrent to stealing for the people of God. But if they stole anyway, God's point was this. You need to go above and beyond and making it right. Pay more than what you took to, to settle the deal, to, to make the offense right. I need you to know this principle still applies to us today. Yes, God forgives thieves. Yes, God's grace covers all our sins. But your neighbor still needs their stuff back. You with me? So you need to pay them back. And you might need to pay them back more than what you took to make it right. That's scary, might be a little expensive, but it is the right thing and the godly thing to do. And so some of us, we need to go and pay somebody back after today. Uh, The next thing is this, and I love this. You need to trust Jesus to pay back God. You need to trust Jesus to pay back God. This is such beautiful news, so please stay with me. We established a moment ago that anytime you sin against God, you steal from God. This is why the Bible equates sin with debt, D-E-B-T. Anytime you sin, you steal more from God and the deeper into spiritual debt you go. Now, the bad news is you can't pay God back for your spiritual debt. Even if you stop sinning at this moment in time, never sinned again for the rest of your life and had the rest of eternity to try and pay God back, it would be impossible to pay him back for all the spiritual debt you've accumulated. That's the bad news. The great news is that Jesus pays God back on our behalf. Imagine it like this. Imagine you're $100,000 in credit card debt. So your credit card company calls you up and they say, hey, uh, great news, we're going to cancel all your debt. It'll never happen, but it would be awesome, wouldn't it? Yeah, it'd be incredible. Now imagine next, they say, not only are we canceling your debt, but we're giving you an unlimited number of credit card reward points that you can use over the course of your life for anything you want. That'd be amazing. Now listen, this is similar to what Jesus has done for us spiritually. He's just done it on a much greater level. Look at what Paul says in Colossians 2, verses 13 and 14. Incredible verses. He's speaking to all of us. He says, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. All Paul's saying there is you're all sinners and there's nothing you can do on the outside to correct what's dead on the inside. All right? You who were dead uh, in your trespasses. Look, God made alive together with him. That's Jesus forgiving us of all our trespasses by doing what? By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. I love this. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. In these verses, Paul reminds us that 2,000 years ago when Jesus went to the cross, it was for the purpose of canceling the sin debt we owed to God. Jesus died in our place for our sins to pay God back what we could never repay on our own. And here's what's crazy to me. Because of what Jesus has done, not only does God cancel our debt of sin when we trust in him, but God also rewards us. When we put our faith in Jesus, God rewards us with new life in the here and now, and he gives us the hope of eternal life after our lives on this earth are over. Some of us need to trust Jesus today. 
Like if you've never put your faith in Jesus as the only one who can cancel the sin uh, debt that you owe to God, that's where you have to start. You can't be good enough for God. You can't follow enough rules for God. You can't come to church enough for God. And the great news is he doesn't ask you to. All he asks is that you would trust in his son Jesus as the only one who's done all the work necessary to pay him back what you owe. If you need to put your faith in Jesus today, I want to help you do it right now in this moment. So I just want to invite us all over the room just to bow our heads, to close our eyes. Just get along with the Lord. Forget about what's going on around you. With your heads bowed and eyes closed, just listen in for just a moment. In Luke chapter 23, we read that when Jesus went to the cross to pay off our sin debt to the Lord, that he was crucified between two thieves. These were violent men who murdered people to take what they wanted. One of the thieves joined in with the rest of the crowds and and he mocked Jesus and, and ultimately he rejected Jesus. The other thief reached out to Jesus and he asked Jesus to save him. The question he asked was this, Jesus, would you remember me when you come into your kingdom? He acknowledged the Godship of Jesus Christ as he's dying on his cross. And and I love Jesus' response. He says, back to this dying thief, today you will be with me in paradise. Not, hey, there's some things you need to do, and if you can make it down off your cross and make up for all the bad stuff you've done, I, I might think about saving you. No, Jesus, save me. And Jesus says back, done, finished. Today you'll be with me in paradise. I know there might be some of us in this room today who have a hard time believing that God can love a person like you after what you've done. That God could accept a person like you after what you've done. That God could use a life like yours after the life you've lived. Can I just tell you, God has loved worse people than you. God has accepted worse people to you into his family as loved sons and daughters. If you need to know the God of the universe today, if you need your life to change, if you need to walk in freedom, if you need hope for eternity, Put your faith in Jesus. Just say something like this to God in prayer. Right now in your seat, in the quietness of your heart, just pray and say this. God, I admit that I'm a sinner. God, I owe you more than I could possibly pay you back. But I believe that Jesus pays you back on my behalf. I confess and believe today that Jesus died in my place for my sins so that my spiritual debt could be canceled. God, I confess and believe today that Jesus rose from the dead so that I could be rewarded by you with new life and with eternal life. And so God, I'm asking you right now, would you save me? Would you forgive me? Would you wash me clean, take control of my life? Give me the new life that you have for me and the eternal life that that you promised me if I'd trust in your son today, God, I say yes to Jesus. Listen, if you just prayed that with me or something like it, I'm gonna invite our prayer team just to come and to get in their places right now. So prayer team, wherever you are, just come and get in your places. Listen, if you just prayed that with me, you put your faith in Jesus for the first time, 
Would you just acknowledge that by lifting a hand? Would you just acknowledge that by lifting a hand? Just throw your hand up. Keep it up. There's a hand over here on the side already going up. Hand right here in the front. Prayer team, let's move quickly. Our prayer team, keep your hand up if that's you. They're going to come and put something in your hand. And right after you receive it, you can put your hand down. James, I prayed. I said yes to Jesus. I put my faith in him. Anybody else? Anybody else? So for the rest of us, for the rest of us, I have to believe that right now in this moment that there are some of us who know Jesus, yet we continue to steal from God. We're walking in disobedience in some area of our life, using all our time, our talents, our our energy on, on our kingdom instead of his kingdom. Listen, if that's you, here's the invitation. And this is going to be a little different, might be a little uncomfortable, but I think it's going to be significant for some of us. If that's you, if you would say, James, man, I'm stealing from the Lord. There's an area of my life that, that I have not surrendered to him, I have not submitted to him, and today I want to quit stealing from, the, from, from God, and I want to start stewarding better what, what he's given me. James, today I want to stop stealing from God, and I want to walk in surrender to him. Listen, if that's you, here's what I want to ask you to do. Weird, uncomfortable, but let's just do it together. If that's you, would you just right where you're sitting, if you're able, would you just take a knee? Would you just take a knee right where you're sitting? People are already starting to take knees. Nobody else stealing from God. If that's you, just take a knee right now. I know it's weird. It's uncomfortable. Who cares what people think? If that's you, James, I'm acknowledging right now that I want to steward what God's given me for his glory and for the good of people because I'm not doing that great a job. Anybody else? Anybody else? God, as, as people continue to take knees, I am just asking that you would honor their humility. God, we acknowledge that that posture says a lot about who we believe you to be. That our posture before you recognizes that you're God and we're not. That you're in control and and we're not. And so God, for the people that have acknowledged that by just bending a knee in your presence today, God, would you just draw close to them? Would you remind them of your grace? Would you remind them in this moment that that following you is not about what they do for you, it's about what you've done for them. God, in light of what you've done for them through Jesus Christ, help them to walk in obedience, grace-motivated obedience. God, help them to release areas of, of life that they need to surrender to you today. God, for the people sitting in their seats who needed to take a knee but didn't, God, would you convict them long after they leave this place? Help them to know and believe that true freedom is found in surrender. God, help us day by day to look to Jesus and to willingly surrender to him. God, all that we need to surrender in light of what he's done. God, we love you and we're grateful for you. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your freedom. Help us to walk in it day by day. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.